thanks again, as always, for listening. I appreciate anybody who listens to even one episode, and I appreciate everyone who's listened to so many. You keep me going. I'm so excited to share that now official on Patreon. You can find my Patreon page, become a member. It's patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. Again, that's patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. My name, of course, is P-E-T-E-R-R-I-E-H-L. Patreon.com backslash Chills at Will Podcast Peter Real. You can become a member today. The page is officially launched. There are three tiers of membership. Official patron membership tier is $3 a month. And with that, you'll get access to all interview episodes when they're published, mostly on Tuesdays with some published on Fridays. There are two to four interviews published each month. Lastly, you'll receive the monthly newsletter with reading recommendations, literary event calendar, and the Chills at Will podcast news, and you'll get a shout-out on a future episode. That is the official patron tier of membership for $3 a month. There's the $5 a month for the all-access patron. With the all-access patron membership, you'll have access to all new interview episodes. Each month, like I said, there are two to four interview episodes. You'll get access to those as well as a monthly bonus episode or two that is an interview or an exploration of themes through two or three texts. One example would be an episode that I did called Righteous and Justified Anger that was explored through the works by Langston Hughes and Ralph Ellison or The Power of Flashback was one episode which explored the endings of The Godfather Part 2 sleepers and that was then this is now with the all access patron membership you'll also receive a refrigerator magnet with the chills at will podcast logo and the monthly newsletter with reading recommendations literary event calendar and the chills at will podcast news you will get a shout out on a future episode too with the vip patron tier which is ten dollars a month you'll get access to all episodes a monthly newsletter with reading suggestions and a calendar of literary events and updates on the Chills at Will podcast, access to a monthly AMA, Ask Me Anything, and a t-shirt with the Chills at Will podcast logo. There are two to four monthly episodes and one or two bonus episodes, which are interviews or discussions of themes as seen through multiple texts. VIP patrons will also receive a special shout-out on a future episode. I encourage you to please join Patreon for the Chills at Will podcast. As I say all the time, this is truly a labor of love. This is truly a DIY operation. I started in April of 2020, and it has been an absolute pleasure. 99.999% fun. I've gone to interview people like Disha Filia, what? Matt Bell. Brandon Hobson, Luis Alberto Orrea, Jean Guerrero, Gustavo Arellano, Taylor Bias, Gabby Bates, Alice Elliott Dark, Nadia Owusu, and so, so, so many more. Did I say Jess Walter? Did I say Jeff Perlman? Ingrid Rojas Contreras, Jamil John Cochai, Morgan Talty, Sadie Shore Parks. 
Rachel Yoder, Vanessa Angelica Villarreal, Kirsten Chen, Sam Quinones, Ion Grillo, Raina Kelly, Zach Harper, Michael Torres, Tracy Cato Kirayama, S.J. Sindhu, Roberto Lovato, Todd Goldberg, Steph Cha, Noel Kassler, Reina Grande, James Tate Hill, Navdeep Dylan Singh, Nikisha Elise Williams, Mia St. John, Susan Muladi Daraj, Sarah Borjas, and the list goes on and on. Future episodes include conversations with Allegra Hyde, with Justin Tinsley, Jose Antonio Vargas, Yasmin Ramirez, Kai Harris, Laura Worrell, so, so, so many cool people. Patreon.com backslash Chills at Will podcast Peter Real. What are you waiting for? See you over there. Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Welcome to episode 159 of the Chills of Will. Chills at Wall. It's not the Chills of Will. It's Chills of Will podcast. I can't even say the name of the podcast right. It's a pleasure today to have Amanda Kors and a bit about Amanda. Amanda is a graduate of Mills College in the beautiful city of Oakland, California, and is working on certificates in technical writing and user experience and web design. Her poetry witnesses previous versions of herself and intimately digs into mental illness, disability, and witchcraft. When she isn't writing or studying, she enjoys hiking, camping, and is just getting into backpacking. Cool. Those three seem like they would go together, right? Yeah, I got really outdoorsy. Um, I guess kind of, well, it was actually towards the tail end of like 2019. Um, I went on my first backpacking trip with my now boyfriend. Um, We went up uh, Half Dome. Oh, shoot. Yeah, it was quite an intense uh, first go at backpacking, and I was not prepared. It was a whole journey. (laughs) (laughs) What is that like in skiing? It's like the bunny slope and then like the, you know, expert or whatever. Like, you didn't start on the bunny slope at all, huh? No, really didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's awesome. And then, of course, you know, with with COVID hitting, it was perfect, not the word, but perfect for outdoorsy sports and stuff, right? Well, yeah, definitely. And that's when I got into um, bicycling because um, nice. I was in lockdown with my two parents. I lived with them. Uh-huh. Um, and my dad, he's a big cyclist. Um, he commute. Well, before the pandemic, he would commute to and from work on bicycle. And then nice. on the weekends, he would do um, like a 30 mile bike ride, at least, um, at least usually. 
Um, so he was, he was really into it and we did kind of an exchange of hobbies and interests. So he got me into bicycling and I got him to play animal crossing and he played for like, it was incredible. Yeah. The 64 year old man playing animal crossing, you know, I had to teach him how to use a video game controller. It was great. It was, you know, it was a good exercise in like teaching someone something because, he's never touched it so anything that we think is intuitive about a video game controller oh left stick to move right stick to move the camera he had none of that knowledge so it was really cool and i felt like when he was teaching me how to drive yeah (laughs) i think i might be closer to him than than to you with like video games i haven't played them in so long Mm -hmm. i think i I think i'd pick it up again it's like riding a pardon the pun riding a bike but uh shoot (laughs) man did animal crossing was that like was that literally like created when COVID started or had been around for a while? Cause I remember it became huge so it's a, around that it's time. It's a franchise that's been around yeah. since um, the N64 and the GameCube. Oh, it came out in Japan. It came out on the N64, but there wasn't a version in America um, in Europe until the GameCube. Oh, okay. So yeah. It's been around my, a while. I remember my students were as so many other people when COVID hit, it was like animal crossing mm-hmm. to the extreme. Oh yeah. That was the thing to do. <laughs> Well, definitely. I was unemployed at the time um, by choice. Uh, I was speaking of disability. I was having a real struggle working in retail while also managing my disability. And um, so I decided, you know, maybe I should stop working for a little bit and, yeah. you know, try to figure something else out. Um, so Animal Crossing was like a great way to like socialize with people while mm. in lockdown because you could right. like visit each other's islands and it was something to talk about with people. Yeah. Um, but it was also great because it kept kind of the sanity in the house as we were like, <laughs> as the walls were closing Close in. Call, right. Um, but it was something that my dad and I could talk about every day because, you know, after a while in lockdown, you run out of things to talk about. <laughs> um, seeing the same two people every day. Yeah. But mm. I was grateful to be with my parents because there were a lot of people my dad knew, a lot of young guys he was working with who they live in an apartment by themselves. So I can't imagine, you know, oh. isolation isn't good for anybody. Oh man. So. There, there've been so many different phases of the pandemic, but that was, that was, I mean, obviously at the beginning, which is crazy. Like the kid lockdown, like that's not a word we hear anymore necessarily, yeah. but like it was a legit lockdown and, and like, yeah, yeah there was ESPN had the, had the series of documentaries on the, the Chicago bulls, the Michael Jordan years. And like everyone was talking about that. And like you said, once that was over, like, shit, what are we talking about now? <laughs> pretty much yeah just coming up like hey how was your well i know how your day was right spent exactly. all those hours together seriously so. i'd love to know uh speaking of home life like how you grew up um definitely like your relationship with with reading and the written word like you know were you the a pretty good transition right there huh were you, oh, yeah, that was good. <laughs> were you like uh you know like the library dweller were you somebody who was like reading slash writing fan fiction like what was your, your no your... so get into this get into this uh. I struggled to read growing up I grew up uh. I was in special education growing up I uh I had a lot of learning disabilities I had an auditory processing disorder where mm. you know it took a long time for my brain to process what it was hearing and it still right. does I still have this I have a delayed response to like jump scares when people come up behind me and go boo i have a delayed response to that um because it takes my brain a minute to recognize that um but basically what would happen is teachers would be talking and by the time i understood the first sentence they've said and like understood what was going on they were already on their fifth or sixth sentence so i was just it was a struggle bus (laughs) i was kept in the struggle bus yeah 
and you know math was hard you know everything was just a challenge because it took me so long to catch up with what was even going on but you know so for reading comprehension you know you learn by like listening to people read to you but it took me a while to understand what was going on okay so anyway I struggled to read and I didn't read my first chapter book until like fourth grade Mm-hmm. And even then it was Magic Treehouse, the short ones. You know? oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did every book report I could on Magic Treehouse. I was like, <laughs> historical fiction, <laughs> fantasy, you better believe. <laughs> you genres. Know, really. <laughs> All the genres. <laughs> and then eventually my uh, my fourth grade teacher pulled me aside and was like, I need you to expand beyond Magic Treehouse. <laughs> uh, that's good advice, but you know, I, mean, I get why you loved it. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> so anyway... So I struggled and I didn't really read for fun until middle school um, <laughs> out of peer pressure to read Twilight, get into that. Uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> oh yeah. But those were the first like really large books I read up until then. It was again, those short, like for kids, mm-hmm. only like 10 chapters, that kind yeah. of moment. And that didn't change really. You know, I read a couple books for fun here and there in middle school, again, into high school too. And then I did middle college, um, where basically my last two years of high school, I did at community college. We had like a homeroom for our English and history, and then we could take college electives. Okay. And I got into the English program and taking English classes because uh-huh. I didn't place very well in math and science. <laughs> so I was like, what can I do where you don't have to place well on a test? <laughs> Intro to lit. <laughs> um <laughs> Although actually, I didn't take the introductory courses first. I just jumped straight into American and British lit. I that just seems went to be a it. pattern here. Yeah, right? I just not, go not for a lot it. of reading, and then right into Twilight. Right, <laughs> not a lot of hiking, and then like Half Dome. <laughs> this is this is who I am. I'm just like, yeah, fuck it, just go. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just went for it, and I loved it. You know, and it wasn't. I remember I took, this was a British lit course was the first one. And I didn't really understand what was going on again until the final book we read, which was Frankenstein, which to Mm. this day is my favorite book for this reason Okay, is listening to all the English majors dissect this book and the professor as well. And talk about, you know, like the framing that's going on, all the biblical illusion, all the stuff that, you know, I had tried to read the book the year before, before any classes, anything before really knowing how to like read a book like an English major and I kind of felt like I missed a lot of it well then Frankenstein in particular sorry you're talking about Frankenstein in particular you wanted to kind of like get get a head start on it kind of no this was before I even knew I was going to take class this was just something for fun I remember I kind of (laughs) I felt like I phased out of the young adult fiction I was like yeah okay sparkly vampire boyfriend whatever Uh, she was perfectly average until she met him you know okay (laughs) Okay. Tropes, tropes, <laughs> tropes, tropes for days. Yeah. So I was like, uh, I don't know what I want to read because again, I didn't have a lot of experience reading. So I was like, I don't even know what's out there. I was overwhelmed. And then a light shone down in Barnes and Nobles on the classic section. Ooh. And I was like, well, they have to be classic for a reason. I guess we'll there see about go. that. Yeah. 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 Huh. <laughs> so I read Frankenstein and anyway, so I felt like I missed a lot fast forward a year and I find we're going to read it again. And I was like, okay, this time I know what's going on. Yeah, I have the one up on everyone here. I've done this before. <laughs> I show up to the discussion the next day. I'm like, oh my God, they're seeing all kinds of stuff, <laughs> but it was so cool. And yeah. um, just seeing the thought process and how people interpreted 
the book, I was like, oh, okay, okay. So I just kept taking English classes because I didn't want to retake the math test because <laughs> I was feeling salty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you can't define me with a grade. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the rest so is anyway, easy. yeah, kept taking them and Frankenstein numerous times. Now I have a collection of Frankenstein books. I have oh, wow. three. <laughs> you mean like the you mean like different like a like limited edition and this and that okay. different yeah different publishers come out with different mm. versions and oh. i have there's the the one that i read in school and it's where i became an english major so it has all post-it notes and it's annotated oh, yeah. and <laughs> it's it's beat to shit and then <laughs> i have like a nice soft cover one that is also i annotate my books um because i have a lot to say so i like to talk back to the book uh, right <laughs> And then I have like a coffee table edition that has like illustrations and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Frankenstein was the real turning point. Uh, um, yeah. And that's kind of how I, that's how I got into books is kind of happenstance and just. Yeah. <laughs> hey, however, however it happens. I wonder how many people you've had to set straight. Right. I'm, and I'm not even fully confident on this. That Frankenstein was the doctor, not the, yes. right. Okay. Yes. The whole point, the whole point of the book is that the creature doesn't have a name and he wants uh, Dr. Frankenstein to claim him and name him and okay. accept him. That's yeah, the whole yeah, point yeah. of the book. Uh, so <laughs> it actually, oh, it drives me up a wall. You know, the 1930s ooh, Frankenstein is completely, right. completely different from the book. You know, the creature is very smart. He's well read. He's huh. very articulate. He knows a lot about philosophy um so he's he's a very smart guy and you know the whole thing is that he doesn't have a name he's very smart and he wants to be claimed by his father yeah so oh man well i I gotta i gotta think that with like the hollywood industrial complex there's got to be like another frankenstein coming down right i mean there's well i think literally two pinocchios just this year alone right i gotta figure this frankenstein's got another like guillermo del toro made a pinocchio oh yeah and then I think, I don't know who made the other one, but I think somehow Tom Hanks was Geppetto. I think it was terrible. Yeah. My kid, my kids watched a little bit of it. And I think I just saw it get panned, but you know, so Frankenstein oh. maybe, maybe remade or redone or, or reimagined. Oh man. I hope so. Cause yeah. currently the best film version is um, it's one with Helena Bonham Carter's in it. Oh, okay. And, uh, but it's still very campy and <laughs> kind of <a> <laughs> this day, Frankenstein has not been done justice. Right. I'm well, still maybe, salty about it. Maybe that's up to you. There we go. Mm. <laughs> I have to get into directing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as you got into, well, so first of all, so when you said middle college, middle, yeah, middle college, mm-hmm. I always thought middle college with like a capital M capital C, like I know a school down mm-hmm. in LA called that, like, is that, is it like oh no that was M? just the name of the program um, okay it's like generic program. like it's okay there's so there's one at Danza college which is where i went to and then there's one at foothill okay college, um up okay, here makes sense. So. so it's like an in-between it's like a transition yeah it's a yeah it's okay. a transitional okay kind of, kids like want to do more but you know <laughs> right home room um which was great yeah as you got into the later, like your, your later education, like who, and even up until now, like who are the writers that really just, or the, or the pieces or the, the text, the poem collections, the short stories, whatever, who are the the ones and the actual works of art that really just changed your, your trajectory? Definitely. So, you know, from about 2012 until I graduated, 
um, Mills College in 2019. I was an English major. I, that's what my my associate degree is in. That's what my bachelor's is in. So I was reading a lot of things. I was just consuming as much <laughs> literature yeah. as possible. I took everything. Um, but I think what stood out to me most was Allen Ginsberg. Okay. Nick extraordinaire. Yes. And while I don't agree with him politically, because he is a very troublesome figure, um, oh. he had some interesting things to say. But if you listen to a recording of him reading Howell, yeah, and you listen to a recording like one of the open mics or um, from the reading tour that I did, and you listen to me read, you can see that he's definitely one of my major influences in oh. rhythm. Okay. in how I perform my poetry, because that was my first exposure listening to him perform Howl. Mm. That was the first time I really heard a poet perform their work. Mm. So I took a lot of inspiration from that, but also rhythm and even, you know, the rawness and <laughs> definitely. Yeah. So Allen Ginsberg for me is like the major influence for sure. That, that got him arrested, right? He, yeah, there was a obscenity trial for Howell because um, keep in mind, this was the 50s and he's writing about like gay themes and sucking cock and oh, you know. yeah. <laughs> not, not leave it to Beaver, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, you know, so that uh, kind of paved the way, as I understand, for writers to really be able to be a little bit more actually honestly explicit and just be like, this is art. So you can't really say that uh, it's obscene. Yeah. Uh, well, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, you growing up in the and living in the Bay Area, there's obviously a big activist and bit, you know, history mm -hmm. and history of, of of poetry and the beatniks and all that. So that's really cool. That's really cool that you got in that. I don't know how new your like your, the copywriting is and the technical writing is like I wonder how that like informs your creative writing. Yeah, so that's fairly new, and I actually did get my technical writing certificate. It's amazing how much changes uh, in the time that your little author bio is written. Huh. Um, but yeah, so I, I got that actually in April this year. Okay. I finished that. Cool. Um, but yeah, I've been a technical writer um, for a year now, but not my current position for a year and. You know, I think the main thing for technical writing, you write like user guides and kind of like, mm. this is how to use a software and, you know, stuff like that. Okay. And I think the main like skill a technical writer has is being concise and precise. Sure. You want to be like, you don't want to go on a whole journey just to tell them how to yeah. edit something. Yeah. So <laughs> no one wants, you know, if you have like a problem and you're troubleshooting your iPhone, you don't want to read the whole war and peace on the history of the uh, iPhone. Uh, you, know, you want, you want quick answers. Some people go here. Yeah. No, yeah no. Go here, click this done. Um, and I think, you know, cause most of my poems are not very long. Sure. So I would actually say that that kind of translates over where I have these short, very punchy lines. Mm -hmm. And I think that is kind of the technical writer influencing the poet. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, the classic, like the worst four words in the English language are some assembly required. Is that three? You know, so three. I, that's three, I, I can't count. So that's, that's, um, I appreciate the conciseness, but it sounds like you get the job done. Cause I always read these same things. And again, this, this, this is on me, cause I don't mm -hmm. understand these things, but I, you know, I read this, I'm like, how is that picture? And you make it so easy. And even the YouTube tutorials, anyways, man, 
So I got to assume a lot of second person in what you write or not necessarily. Yeah, definitely. Um, A lot of you. You, you know, you will see this. Uh Uh-huh. And that's where, you know, there's the major difference for me, for my writing. I I write about me. Uh (laughs) Okay. So, so a hundred percent Amanda Kors, 90% partially, you're not even sure yourself. Like how much? A hundred percent. Yeah. Most interesting thing to write about. Yeah, obviously, obviously. Okay. It's not even that I think I'm that interesting. I think it's just, I don't know. Because for a long time, here's how I got into writing poetry. Let's get into that. That's a good transition. Nice. Yeah. See, I'm good. good. (laughs) I started, you know, so I started in high school. I was about 16. And this was the year before middle college. And I, for some reason, decided I was going to take physics. Okay. Mistake. Fair enough. Yeah. Mistake. I was yeah. I was trying too hard. Yeah. Um, I was in geometry at the same time. That was my math level. And I was also, why did they let me sign up? Anyway. Why did they let yeah. why did why who who approved that? Right. But anyway, so I was taking physics. I was lost and confused. And I was like, I'm never gonna get this, which is correct. Huh. Um, even when I tried and studied really hard, I still didn't get it. And I had the formula like written down and I still got the wrong answer. Uh, well, uh... So I was like, okay, fuck it. This is not my gig. So instead of paying attention, I started writing poems Um, because a lot was going on for me emotionally at the time. That's when my mental illness started presenting itself. I had some stuff going on at home with my older sibling. They were having a really hard time. They were going through some stuff. So it was just, it was a really dark place. Mm. So I decided to start writing because I heard, because I could, (laughs) because I wasn't doing anything else. I was bored. (laughs) I was like, trajectory velocity whatever i don't care sure sure so i started writing and they were awful Mm. they were cliche Mm. but that wasn't the point really yeah you know the point was i was feeling that depression was getting to everybody i knew so i felt like it was like a cancer and it was spreading Mm -hmm. you know it was getting it my older sibling had it a bunch of my friends you know and so many people in the news were dying of suicide Mm -hmm. um after coming out Mm -hmm. so um I was like, holy shit, man. (laughs) So it was a way to get through that. And then as I was reading more literature and becoming more of an English major, then my tone and stuff shifted. I I got more of a style. Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to write free verse. You know, I didn't want to do sonnets. (laughs) Love you, Shakespeare and all. (laughs) Do you though? Do I? I don't. I don't. I'm I'm an unpopular English major where I don't care for Shakespeare. I know controversial. Controversial. I'm totally in agreement. (laughs) I'm like, yeah. I mean, I guess game. I'm not going to say that I have the same game as him, but like, I guess game recognized game. But like, come on. Like, yeah if, yeah yeah that's that's a whole sorry sorry go ahead it's a it's a whole thing no i get it it's the whole thing you know everyone is forced to read shakespeare so we all have a feeling about it we all yeah have exactly we all went through that it's awful we all feel some type of way they say, yeah. <laughs> but i feel like when i went to mills and i started doing the open mics there um the mfa students which matt was one of them mm, okay. matt and i go back shout matt out matt mejia nervous ghost press Oh yeah. Right at the roots, man. Um, so that's actually where we met is at those open mics. I was one like of the great few, man, yeah, I was one crew. of very few undergrads who would show up and read at them. Um, uh. cause I was just like, well, whatever I've been 
published um my community college i was published in their um literary magazine that was the first time i was published and from there and reading my work the first time at the like publishing party yeah yeah, yeah. i got a real taste for it and i was like this is what i want to do i enjoy this i like writing i like performing my work this is really cool so i go to mills and i go to these open mics and people respond and they seem to enjoy it um and yeah, kind of the rest is history. I took some more creative writing courses while I was at Mills. And uh, one of my professors, Arisa White, I think she really also one of my major influences too, um, as like kind of a mentor. And, um, you know, she really taught me to just like own my own experiences and just, mm-hmm. just write it. Fuck it. Who cares? <laughs> you know? She really, she really instilled that in me. And I remember when I turned in my final, she was like, you know, you could publish these. And it wasn't anything that's in this book, but I remember, you know, she kind of gave me the confidence and she was the first one to really say like, you could, you could get published and you could mm. go far with this. That's awesome. Um, so that was really, that was really awesome. And yeah, you know, I go way back with Nervous Ghost. Um, yeah and Matt because you know so I've known him from college so you know <laughs> from like college parties and of the few that we went to there wasn't that many at Mills Mills was not really a party school right. um <laughs> but you know um ain't no party like a Mills college party <laughs> oh yeah real real party animals <laughs> no it's just a bunch of cat moms and vape, uh, but <laughs> that's pretty funny shining light not the one in barnes noble but that shining light when you did frankenstein and people were like mm-hmm. oh man illusions and history and context and all that yeah like as you read now like are you do you read with the mind of like a critic not not critic in the negative connotation but like are you like looking at like structure and like you know the way things are put together and if mm-hmm. so does that like take away from just like pleasure reading it's a little bit of both it's less intense now that i don't have to read for a grade yeah 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 yeah. right <laughs> you know with that you know it's kind of a shame with all the reading I've done I didn't really retain a lot of it because it was just like on to the next one mm-hmm. on to the next one this is an illusion this is that and I didn't really get to enjoy sure. it because it was just like you have to read this in you have to read great expectations in two weeks and it's like this big honking book I also don't like Charles Dickens no same same <laughs> okay same. Same. I'm like yeah no forget it yeah Scrooge was your best word because you had to be concise and you weren't published serially for that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. With Great Expectations and his other novels, they were published serially and he was paid by the word. So there's a lot of repetition and very lengthy. And I'm like, can you just edit it? And I think that's also the technical writer in me coming yeah, yeah, out yeah, 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 yeah. and being like, get to the oh, point. That's, that's interesting. Okay. So that's why Scrooge is so good. With, yeah. With that's why his short, his short stories are great because he's to the point. Oh. Concise. Get to I know, it. I know a decent amount of writers like that. Yeah you know oh man mm-hmm. the the collection is it's just a little blood and <laughs> here it is if you're watching at home and i'm looking at the back you've got some great blurbs mm-hmm. i know i know uh, mike songson very well mike the poet Anne marie wells hillary mm-hmm. brown um inside cassandra lane um some great ones yeah. and so i wonder about like um like page page 48 means nothing unless you're looking at the book but the poem look at that right you're like oh yeah i know no the poem yeah i know i know i haven't memorized to the page i actually don't (laughs) great title because it says so much the title is he read a science textbook once and decided that was good enough 
Yeah, right. that actually wasn't in there for the first draft when it won mm. the prize. That was added later. And and I feel like it's uh, I mean, there's so many different poems throughout that could be like, you know, representative of the book as a whole. But I feel like it's a it's a really interesting pivot, and it, you know, it says a lot about what I, what I think the book is about is. And obviously, I want to yeah. ask you because you're the one who wrote it, but a lot about um, just like ignorance, especially from men. Yeah. Um, right. The the great line you have is that your quote, your understanding of my month is best described as public school sex ed. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded recently of like a lot of like, like social media fails, right. Where they ask men, mm-hmm. you know, oh, it could be God, on Twitter, yeah. right. They ask men like, what, you know, what do you know about menstruation and, you know, menstruation, et cetera. Yeah. And, you know, just, they I show mean, them a pad and they're like, do you know what this is? And they're like, right. Mm-hmm. Right. It depends. <laughs> And I'm talking way too much. So like what, you know, just the idea of like, I guess some of the seeds for the book, did it come from a lot of this ignorance? And, you know, ignorance doesn't have to be a negative thing. It might mean you yeah. really don't know, but it also has that connotation of like willfully ignorant and all that. So I, I guess kind of like where some of the seeds for the book and, and what it has to do with ignorance. Sure. So, you know, that poem, I... <laughs> I did. I was, as I was writing, as I was writing and editing the book, I, I did interview my now boyfriend at the time of the book. He was my friends with benefits. It's complicated, et cetera. So <laughs> there is a redemption. Was an interviewee? <laughs> he, he know he's an official interviewee. Like, no, he did record. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just started quizzing him. I was like, so what do you think happens here? <laughs> like, what? And he perfectly recited like from a textbook. He's like, it's about thir- 28 to 30 days. I was like, oh my God, someone help this man. Um, but it was interesting, like what of the education stuck with him. And it was just like, okay, well, <laughs> and I thought it was so funny when he said we become bitchy. I was like, okay. <laughs> well, that's a great part of the poem too, because you, you in the poem, you or the speaker is like, okay, well, can you pinpoint the change? And it's like, well, uh-huh. not really, not, no, you mm-hmm. know, so, you know, just shows, I mean, all of myself, including all of our ignorance and yeah. And I think I'm sure you have ideas about whether that's willful or not. It can be a taboo subject, right? Yes. Well, and that's why I think a lot of people didn't want me to read the book at their bar or whatever. And I think that's part of why uh, we only got we were only able to get two places to have me uh, read is because a lot of places were like, um, you know, a lot of like mom and pop bookstores are not gonna want me saying like my pussy's bleeding <laughs> <laughs> as their kids are like shopping for Twilight. Sure. Um they still buy Twilight. you know. <laughs> I get your point. I get your point. Yeah. But you know, it's, you know, it is a very kind of controversial subject, which is kind of funny. It's like half the population goes through this in some form. Um, But that was also why I wanted to write it is it it was kind of, it started as a dare to myself in a way. Yeah. Well, actually here's how it really started. The first, the first poem, uh, dirty soap. Mm Mm-hmm. That poem came to me while I was in the shower. That actually happened. You know, my period started and those first lines of the poem popped in my head as it was happening. And I was like, oh, and then I was writing the rest of the poem in my head and I was like, okay, I better hurry up. And yeah. so I came out quickly through a robe on. I wrote the poem and then kind of like struck by lightning, I had more ideas and I wrote another two poems right after. Wow. And um and then I finished getting ready and, you know, I'm like soaking wet and I'm writing poetry. <laughs> this is like, this is like pen and paper. Is this on the computer? Or? This was um, on the notes app on my phone. Oh yeah. There you go. All Apple. Oh yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> product placement. Cupertino, Cupertino girl. Hey, uh-huh. 
Um, but yeah, so then I was editing them and I, then the next day happened and I was looking at them again and I wrote more and I just kept writing more. And I was like, I have like 15 or so poems. Can I write a full manuscript? And it became kind of a dare. And it's like, how far can I push this? How far can I write about this one subject? So it became kind of a writing exercise in a lot of ways. Um, And part of the goal too, was to just give myself permission to state how my body is feeling and how it is Mm. and kind of a jealousy that young boys and even men still, they can be like, I farted, you know, anytime men men have full permission to do that they're like burp you know this that's like some comedians like whole act yeah a lot of them (laughs) we watched a lot of comedy specials recently that's like what my family does for dinner we'll like have our dinner and watch a comedy special whole routines just dedicating yeah comics will be like i farted i pissed myself because i got so drunk you know like this whole thing Whereas women, eh, we can't really say a lot of that. So I wanted 60 or so pages to just do that. I wanted 60 pages where I didn't have to be cute for anybody, where Mm. it wasn't about the male gaze, Mm. where it didn't have to be pin up and push up bra, you know, where it could just be like, this is the tea. And you can either, you can either man up and read the book or you can see yourself out. (laughs) Mm. And it was funny at, at, um, at one of the readings, some this man sat down and I was like, oh, he's in for a surprise. <laughs> you know, oh, he's, in <laughs> he's in for a surprise. I read like the third poem and then he just quietly got up and left the bar. <laughs> I was like, I admire you for staying as long as you did, sir. <laughs> and ordered the book later that night. Who knows? Maybe he Who got knows? one. You know, one. I'm sorry, Dirty Soap? Is that the first? Yeah, the yeah. First one's I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's that one or not, but really early on, I mean, there's obviously a lot about men's ignorance which again you know could be a neutral but there's also about you know men's toxicity right oh, One yeah. of some great lines about like blood is quote seen as repulsive but war is fine but a monthly 80 milliliter, milliliter. bloodshed is unspeakable yeah and then ooh, the last line is at least i can wash this blood away yeah that's a great line <laughs> well great yeah line. i think of a lot you know growing up you know all the boys playing call of duty and they're huh. like you know, or like Grand Theft Auto and they're like torturing people and like beating them with crowbars and no big deal. Know, yeah. video game blood. Yeah. Whereas if they had to do any of that in real life, by the way, they would be shaking, crying, throwing right. up. Right. But, you know, they're talking about all this and like all these gory movies and stuff. But then as soon as I like go to my friend and say, hey, girl, do you have an extra tampon? They're like, whoa, <laughs> you know, whoa, whoa. whoa that's Step crazy. Too far. Yeah, yeah, too yeah. Far. And I'm like, first of all, excuse me (laughs) i'm like it's not that much blood and which was also part of the title is kind of um both sides saying it's just a little blood where Uh, people who are lacking empathy will be like who cares about this who cares about your pain during this it's just a little blood but it's also for us to reclaim and be like why are you so grossed out why is this such a problem for you it's just a little Uh, little blood so it's kind of both sides saying that oh that's really interesting thank you i was i was thinking of more of from the woman's side but mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like, yeah, like the like, come on, like, buck up. It's just, uh, okay. well, yeah, you know, people advocating for days off for menstruation because some people get it really bad. Huh. I'm one of those people where like I get really faint because um, due to the IUD, my blood it has the copper lining, so that mm. makes the blood loss heavier and more painful. Um, definitely heavier. So I just I get really anemic. Is the thing. Oh, and, 
no matter how many iron supplements or like burgers I have, you know, it's like, I'm still going to be a little bit out of commission. Well, the, in the, in the poem that describes the putting in the IUD, it's, Oh God. Nurse was basically right. Yeah. It was awful. Hands down. Awful. A lot of people are saying you should really have some anesthesia for that procedure, but doctors really just be. minimize the pain. They're like, Oh, well, women go through childbirth. So this is not a big deal. And it's like, oh, no, it's a big deal. Oh, <laughs> well, like it was, I was struck by like one of the nurses was basically like, it could lead to heavy, heavy bleeding or none at all. It's like a eh, toss up. Like, I'm not sure which one. Oh I'm God. Like, oh my yeah. gosh. The uncertainty. Well, when it comes to women's health, you get a lot of answers like that. We're like, this will either make it better or make it worse. Right. <laughs> much, much worse like, or, or oh. much better. Oh my gosh. And, the, you know, so speaking of like the ideas of like, of like, uh, I mean, of the different gender, you write in one of the poems that there's no God of mystery for men, right? <laughs> men, like, you know, I take that yeah. as like, right. Like you said, men are very upfront, men are out there and, you know, women, Artemis, but people don't know about it. And there's just this need for women to have this sort of mystery, right? Yeah, well, that was that was my way of poking fun of men. Like, you don't have a god of men's mysteries. You're not that uh, mysterious. Are you that interesting and complicated? Perhaps not. <laughs> <laughs> that was my, I was just poking the bear with that one. Um, but yeah, but it also goes back to like historically and even now, you know, menstruation is supposed to be very, you know, it's mysterious. You're supposed to keep mm. it hidden. You know, sure. there's you know, you keep it separate. You know, if you're, I remember growing up in sex ed classes, they were like, and if you get your period and you need something, pull us aside and whisper. Yeah, the, the idea you, know, you talk about like history, mm-hmm. and there's a really interesting one about um, it's called the medieval period, like double, yes. triple meanings, right? Mm-hmm. And it's clearly like on the left is more of like the factual, and then the right is very like short, but it's like you know on the rag. Um, mm-hmm. It's almost like a like in parentheses, like what's the term? Just like a side, like a thought on the side, you know? About yeah. okay, certain things happen, right? So maybe that's that's where perfume came from. Mm-hmm. Just this idea of like, obviously, there's a historical precedent for menstruation and just like how much it's affected even today, like our language, right? Definitely. And that one, I really thought of like theater, speaking of Shakespeare, mm. um, and those little like side conversations that they'll have. Yes, exactly. Where, like, be a conversation and there'll be a side character who's like, blah, 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 blah. Shakespeare really loved doing this. Uh-huh. <laughs> Damn it, he's one of my influences. <laughs> yeah. Also, they were meant to function. There's one, you know, especially there's this one paragraph and this one stanza in there that functions almost as like a mini poem within this greater poem about like the apple and the tree. And we have to bother someone else with our leftover sediment. And Right. Um, but yeah, because as part of this, I had to kind of research some things. Hmm. Um, even though I go through periods, it's like, well, I don't know everything. <laughs> and if I want to write about something greater than myself and other things and expand beyond myself, I have to do some research. Yeah. I decided to look up historically. I was like, well, what did we do before the always pad? Right. Some pretty troubling things. I mean, a lot of like in Egypt, they did um, like sticks with papyrus wrapped around them and used them as like a oh. ancient tampon which sounds very uncomfortable, but yeah. you know, <laughs> oh my God. there was, there was a lot that was um, pretty brutal, very, um, but you know, huh. inventive. Uh, but yeah, when I was looking at the medieval 
what they used to do in the medieval times. It was, yeah, we're just bleed, you know, I was like, oh, mm. okay. That's always <laughs> an option. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, but yeah. Mostly, mostly rags. Yeah. Um, at least in Europe. Well, I, I do have to say, you know, it does seem like, like period lends itself to so many like double meanings, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> you have the patient period, oh. you have the retail period. Um, the retail mm-hmm. period was one really interesting one. It was like, you know, the, the gall, so to speak of this woman, you know, she got like a hot pack and she's clearly going through time of the month. And it's like, you know, she's quote openly being a woman. She's openly having a body and, you know, like a lot of things you've already talked about, right. Where males are are free to, to, to have a body, to be yeah. open about it. And, and I was just so struck, like even with um, like the first blood is the name of one of the poems and it's, Oh yeah. Right. And just the idea of like, don't mention it. And just, you talk about history, like just this quote unquote surprise being passed from generation to generation and mm-hmm. kind of like for what, like, I mean, was it for you, was it like a total surprise? It was. Yeah. I had no idea. Cause that, that, that is, that was exactly what happened. I, I came home, you know, I was 11. Mm-hmm. Was I 11? Yeah. I was 11. And you know, at that age, I was still like playing on the playground and still like very much a child. And um, I come home and I go to use the restroom and, oh my God, there's all this blood, which is like, by the way, how did I not notice that there was all this blood? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, total unawareness of, sure. of this part of my body. Cause really outside from like going to pee, it's not like a part of my body I had really interacted with much prior. Um, it's not something I really like looked at or like even had any awareness of. I was just mm. a kid. And then all of a sudden it's bleeding. I have to do some kind of maintenance for it once a month. And I had no idea, Mm. but yeah, I really thought I had some kind of serious injury, but I wasn't in pain and I was just very confused. And so I was like, mom, (laughs) rightfully so. Yeah. And she was like, oh no, it's just this. And I was like, well, why didn't you tell Mm. me? (laughs) So it was, it was, it wasn't traumatic, but it was just like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then I also playfully, I'm like, what the hell, mom? You had another kid that went through this. Why didn't you? Why didn't you? There was no setup. <laughs> huh. There was no setup. So it was a setup. <laughs> right. Hey. Um, Obviously, you know, the- I don't blame her now. It's just, you know, it's one of those things, especially previous generations where they're like, mm, we don't want to do it. Yeah. Do you feel like that's changing? I think so. Yeah. I see a lot of um, millennial parents in particular are a lot more open with their kids about mm. more just like honesty about a lot of subjects and just saying like, here's more of what's going on instead of more of a like, don't worry, child. Mm. <laughs> um, so I do think it's changing. And I think more people are speaking up about a multitude of lived experiences. But I think also when it comes to menstruation, people are talking about it more. Yeah you see more advertisement for products beyond mm-hmm. just um, the always pads and Tampax. Okay. Tampax Pearl. Those were kind of your options back in the day. And now there are more options for how to even take care of your period. We have disposable underwear. There's um, period underwear that is reusable, rewashable. Mm-hmm. There's the menstrual cup, which was not around when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like multiple ways to manage it too. So with new products comes new advertisements, comes new conversations. And so I think it is changing, thankfully. <laughs> I've been really happy, happy to see like a lot of my students, like they, they'll do like a senior project or like, mm-hmm. you know, community service type of thing. I mean, I hate using that term, but like, and a lot of it is, you know, 
is taking care of like period products and menstrual products for like for women like unhoused women mm-hmm. you know i mean you got to imagine like you know ideas of dignity and just like you know it happens yeah. on the street just like it happens in a home you know well and this didn't make it in the book because i didn't know how to write about it but in prisons you know they only get mm-hmm. so much money to spend on what they need and oftentimes there's not enough like pads etc so they'll bleed through and get it on their uniform and if your uniform's messed up they'll extend your time god dang so often it just perpet you know it just right it's really fucked up right very upsetting but yeah if you can't if you can't afford or they don't give you enough products to manage it and Mm because periods experiences ranges so much for so many people you know everything issued by a state is so like everyone has to get the same but it's not actual equity it's right you know the girls who are bleeding more they end up staying they end up having more time because their uniform gets blood on it man i've you know i've read i've read about you know articles where it's like okay so and so you know got in a fight and his his sentence his uh his time is you know extended but like i've never read about it like that like i wonder how they would even couch that in a an article and it's like wow that's yeah, that seems to be just an obvious wrong. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, you know, people talk about like, oh, that the time of the month, like what your mm-hmm. book does is it really, your collection does, it talks a lot about like the totality of, right? It's mm-hmm. not just, you know, talk about like spotting and, you know, it's mm-hmm. not just these whatever, three days, six days, eight days, like, it, you know, you do one of the poems is um, 13 years of blood loss. Mm-hmm. You know, you do the math, like this is, you know, how many milliliters lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even like in, in, uh, tampon bondage, <laughs> right. I mean, the line yeah. about, I mean, it's almost like a, like a dominatrix or something like that. It's like, tell me good girls don't complain. Yeah. Um, who's, who's like the villain in that? Is it this big society with a capital S? Is it, is it patriarchy? Is it, I mean, throughout the book, um, it's, there's not, a clear villain necessarily but definitely the period itself is also kind of a villain in Mm. how restricting it can be how painful it can be but also mostly society tm and how we treat people who menstruate how we treat people who don't (laughs) society tm i like that yes (laughs) (laughs) um so uh, you know a bit of both but men are actually not really the the villain if you actually, if you read through the book and you, you know, try to keep an open mind when reading it, men are not the villain. Yeah, the men yeah. who do make it into the book, generally speaking, the specific men anyway, actually show up to be the hero and they define my expectations. Hmm. Um, there's two poems, one right after another. I'm sorry, you, I'm sorry, you said defy or define expectations? Defy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they are, let me see if I can find them. Cuddle blood and sex while spotting, you know, the men, right. two different men, but they defy my expectations and how they interact with me when I am menstruating. You know, mm-hmm. I assume they're going to be disgusted by me. I assume they're going to freak out mm-hmm. and they don't. They're like, okay, that's happening. Right. Do you want dinner? <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, the one, the one that you, uh, the one with the great title about, you know, like the one you said, you, you know, you're, you're now boyfriend, mm-hmm. like even that, you know, you're saying, the last couple of lines of that poem were like, even he, you know, has this ignorance, but it's not, it's not a, a malice. Yeah. Right. And he definitely, you know, every now and then 
when we have when it comes up and we talk about it he never means to be mean he never means to be ignorant he never means to like come across in a bad way but it's like and sometimes i realize that even you are a cis man tm Mm, where you don't have this experience and you know (laughs) so you don't know how to talk about it or you come across and you have the wrong information but i think that's just part of being in a relationship with somebody where you know you inevitably you each have your privileges you know Mm. um we're we're in a we're an interracial uh, couple. So sometimes I come across as the white person TM, you know, mm-hmm. so <laughs> you have to just manage that okay. um, for sure. Yeah. So you talk about the TM, like, are you, are you rich? You have the trademark on society and you have the trademark on sis. <laughs> you must be like, every time someone uses that, you get paid. Dang. <laughs> you must be balling. Oh yeah. I'm just, only, right? If only had those trademarks. I, I am just the ballin' poet because you know we're such a wealthy group. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. Of course. Well, that's really interesting. Um, you know, obviously, you know, myself included, there's so much ignorance. You take, you know, you take it from like the individual, like the speaker's personal um experiences mm-hmm. to the, you know, so from the micro to the macro, like mm-hmm. I think it's maybe the second to last poem or third to last is called They Vote Red. Yes. And, you know, the ideas of like, you know, the the R party, right? <laughs> and ideas of, quote, conforming rape, God's plan, mm-hmm. and talking about, you know, wielding the cross like a dagger. Yeah. Um, you know, where where ignorance in the purest sense of the word can go to, you know, willful ignorance and, and malice and, yeah. and you know, uh, a complete sense of misogyny. So I just thought it was so interesting how you did, like I said, you did the big, the big issues, the, mm-hmm. the larger societal as well as you know how they're how they they come out they they play out in an individual's life definitely and actually they vote red was not in the original manuscript mm. that was one of four that i added after it was accepted and after we were working on the final yeah i added um he read a science textbook once and figured that was good enough they vote red patient period and tsunami in the employee bathroom mm-hmm. um because I felt like those things were missing yeah. when I was reading through. And I think it would be a very different book, actually, if They Vote Red wasn't in there. Mm. Um, but I was really responding to, and this was before Roe v. Wade was turned over. Oh, wow. Um, this was about a year before, but I could kind of see it coming because they'd been talking about it. Um, and also just conversations around abortion and, you know, women's health and reproductive health. Um but it felt like it really, I was just so, I was so angry. So I, I wrote that and it comes across, yeah. but just how deadly these conversations can be and how um, denying people autonomy and choice over their health, you know, really fucks things up. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you have women who are like now in prison, you have teenagers who now have, who now have children and who can't go to college now. And it really is setting back our society quite quite a ways and in ways that we don't even know yet um so i hope we can fix that soon but even then there's so many lives now that have been destroyed by like not being able to take care of their health and so many lives actually lost too well yeah you talk i mean talk about like the the conforming of rape and like in minimizing Mm -hmm. of and it's like um obviously there's a lot about women's agency and you know with without without using any any cheesiness right like it really is a book that like a collection that you know makes makes a father look differently you know at being a father makes you know the 
uh, you know, a, a partner. And I wonder how much of the book is aimed for women writers, men writers, no, doesn't yeah, matter, so all the, the above. Thing. Here's the thing. I wrote it to say my piece and whoever read it would read it because I knew this was not the most traditionally marketable book. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's actually why I submitted it to the prize because I figured this is the only chance in hell this has of being a book. But I also thought it might not have a chance in hell because the end, the final judge was a cis man. And I was like, I don't know if he's uh... going to go with this, but I gave myself a terminal case of the fuckets and just submitted it anyway. And <laughs> <we are. laughs> uh-huh. But I wrote it Firstly, for me, um, but then I was also writing, I was writing for other people who go through this, but interestingly enough, the people who respond to it the most are men, mm. are cis men. Cis men really enjoy it. They feel like they've been, it's, and it's a sense of they've been let in on something Yeah, they didn't know before. And I think that's interesting. I'm like, we've been saying. <laughs> right. <laughs> I right. guess it's about like how honest you are and how visible you're making it. Because we'll say, and I think it comes down to, oh, we've been saying, but we've been saying to each other and not, Mm. you know, talking to men directly about it. But I also, I did make a point, speaking of of gender and sex, I did make a point to try to be trans inclusive in the book, Mm -hmm. where when I talk about me, I use she, her pronouns, because I am a cis woman. But when I talk about a greater menstruation community experience, I use period haver. And that was a deliberate choice in the book. I wanted to be inclusive because it's not that hard to be. Mm. <laughs> there were a couple of times where I caught myself, but that's because, you know, the conversation around menstruation is so gendered because we're like, oh, women. well, there are trans women who don't have periods and wish mm. they did. And actually, mm. I didn't think about that until when I when the book came out and I mentioned, you know, I published I, I put on my Instagram like, hey, the book is out. And one of my you know, my trans woman friends reached out and she was like, I really can't wait to read it. I don't have these parts, but I wish I did. I wish this is something I went through. Mm. And that, you know, did give me a sense of gratitude for my body and that it does align with me. And I go through all the experiences and processes that align with myself. Mm. Mm. But a lot of, a lot of fathers of daughters really in particular responded really well to the book and they're really grateful um, to read it. And they were like, I felt a little uncomfortable. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) but you read it. (laughs) There you go. But I think anytime you're expanding your horizons beyond your experience, and especially since I'm so raw and explicit, Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable, but I think if you do the work to read it anyway, and you stick around and you're like, oh man, I was wrong about this. Mm -hmm. I think then you're doing some really good work. Definitely. It was, I guess, kind of a two-part question. Like, was it was it cathartic for you? And then like, with that, does that, I mean, are you going to have similar themes in future work? Are you going to go a totally different route? Like, or still kind of deciding? So it was very fun to write. I had, I had just a great time. Just. So how long you you said it was like, it was like a quick, like a lot of inspiration. Like, did you write it over? Like, I mean, I know you, you know, did touch ups here and there, but did you write it over like three weeks, like a a month? It was about six months. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah about six months because yeah. um, I had the first three months where I was just kind of lightly writing it and then at a nervous ghost open mic um, when they were still video yeah I announced the prize and I went oh my god this is the only chance this will ever have it being a book and I was fortunately well fortunately in a sense <laughs> I was still unemployed so I had the writer's dream of nothing but time and I could yeah, just focus on it. yeah 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 
which is why I shout out my parents at the end of the book, like, thanks for letting me <laughs> with you so I can write this. <laughs> um, so it was great fun. You know, I got to kind of explore writing in a way I hadn't done before as the nature of doing such a large project. Um, you know, it's like 50 some poems about one theme, hmm. you know, which doesn't get done very often, at least mm-hmm. for me. Um, in terms of the next book, I'm almost done with the first draft. It has nothing to do with periods. <laughs> We've moved on. Um, I think I've exhausted the topic for myself. Um, <laughs> but that one's very different. But yeah, I'm about three poems away from having the first draft. And mm. then I get to obsess over it and then send it to Matt. <laughs> oh, man. And go, that- you want another one? Yeah. <laughs> like DJ Khaled, another one. <laughs> yeah. DJ Khaled, if you're listening. DJ Khaled, if you're listening, put her, you know. We the best poets. <laughs> Keep going, keep going. <laughs> That's all I got. Well, I want to thank you for your uh, your DJ Khaled uh, references. I'm a big fan. I want to thank you for um, letting us get into the head about you know about all about the the subject matter about what you're thinking about your writing process, about your early days and Frankenstein, yes, and your TMs and <laughs> well, yeah, I guess you know. Thanks so much. It's uh, it's so cool to to hear from you yourself. And, you know, I know that it's a, like you said, it's a topic that is uncomfortable for a lot of people, but um, was such an interesting read and educational comes off as like, like cheesy, but like educational and interesting and has a lot to say, especially in 2022 um, Mm -hmm. about individuals and about all of us. So long story short, thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. I've never done something like this before. So well, I, <laughs> hope it's the first, I hope it's the first of many. And you know, I look forward to hoping you, you know, meet you in, in, in real life and continue to follow your career. Continue great luck with your work. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Thank you. pleasure has been to speak today with Amanda Kors. Continue good luck to her with her writing and I'm so looking forward to continuing to follow her career and her important work. Thank you for listening to episode 159 of the Chills of Will podcast. You can now subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave, please leave me a five-star review. You can also ask for it by name using Alexa and find the pod on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills at Will Podcast or on Twitter where I'm at Chills at Will PO1. You can watch this and other episodes on YouTube, the Chills at Will Podcast channel. Sign up now for the Chills at Will Podcast Patreon. It can be found at patreon.com backslash Chills at Will Podcast Peter Real. And my last name is spelled R-I-E-H-L. Check out the page that describes the benefits of a Patreon membership including cool swag like t-shirts and refrigerator magnets and bonus episodes. Thanks in advance for supporting my one-man show, my DIY podcast, and my extensive reading, research, editing, and promoting to keep this independent podcast pumping out high-quality content. The intro song for the Chills of Will podcast is Wind Down Instrumental, and the other song played on the episode was Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour, and both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Please tune in for episode 160 with Jose Antonio Vargas, a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, Emmy-nominated filmmaker, and Tony-nominated producer.
a leading voice for the human rights of immigrants, his best-selling memoir, Dear America, Notes of an Undocumented Citizen, was published by HarperCollins in 2018. His second book, White is Not a Country, will be published by Knopf in 2023. This episode will air on January 3rd. For now, thanks again for listening. I hope that these uncertain days bring you texts by writers with mad skills like Amanda Kors, whose work, like It's Just a Little Blood, gives you chills at will. Mm-hmm.